0: Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater. Committed to helping companies from nonprofits to the Fortune 500 find food for meetings and company events. With online ordering and 24-7 live support, learn more at easycater.com.
1: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey there, short shortwavers. Regina Barber here. And today we're going to talk about what I've been told is an incredibly cute deer.
2: It is stupid cute, Regina. That's the only way to describe it.
3: <laughs> so imagine Bambi, but even the adults look like Bambi. Wow. When they're grown up, they're only about the size of a golden retriever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nate Rot, Ryan Kelman, I get it. They're cute. Can we meet them already?
2: Oh, much obliged. Maybe the one thing before we leave. Yeah. Um, could you introduce us to some of your deer?
3: So this skeptical woman you're hearing Nate talking to is Valerie Preziosi.
2: Introduce you. It's way we got there. You're like, got to come meet our deer. I was like, all right. Yeah. I don't need to shake hooves, you know, but... uh...
3: (laughs) And... The reason she's having to put up with our terrible jokes, well, let's be honest, Nate's terrible jokes, is because she's a huge advocate for this tiny deer that we're talking about, the key deer.
1: The key deer? I've never heard of that before.
2: Well, that's not a surprise because they only exist on the low-lying Florida Keys. They're the smallest deer species in North America. They are federally endangered with an estimated population of around 1,000. All right, so here's deer. Just a few of them. Hey, guys. There's like... Eight of them
3: in her yard. (laughs) A lot of them are really used to humans, so you see them all over the place, behind the grocery store, crossing the road, near the bank, everywhere.
2: So this first little one here, she still has a little bit of dots. I've seen her still taking a few quick sips from her mother. And the reason we met with Valerie Preziosi, the founder and director of the nonprofit Save Our Key Deer and other people on the Keys, is because this tiny, cute species is raising one of the biggest questions in wildlife conservation today.
3: Yeah. And the question is what do we do with a species that's habitat, the only place it lives, is disappearing?
2: Today
1: on the show, the story of a tiny deer.
2: And rising seas, we look at how climate change is raising difficult questions for the world's threatened and endangered species. I'm Nate Rott. I'm Ryan Kelman.
1: And I'm Regina Barber. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Samsung Galaxy. Break down language barriers with Live Translate on the all-new Galaxy S24 Ultra. Powered by Galaxy AI, Live Translate gives you real-time translations on calls so you can speak freely with someone in another language. Translate calls just like that with Live Translate on the new Galaxy S24 Ultra. Samsung account login required. Must make calls using Samsung phone app. Live Translate must be enabled and languages preset.
3: Planet Money helps you understand the economy. We introduce you to fascinating people.
0: We did not have a trash can, no ma'am. Didn't need one.
3: We show you how money influences everything. Tell me what you like by telling me how you spend your money. And we dig until we get answers. I had a bad feeling you are going to bring that up. Planet Money finds out. All you have to do is listen. The Planet Money podcast from NPR.
1: Okay, let me start with you, Ryan. You asked what we as humans are supposed to do with species that's habitat is disappearing, like the key deer.
3: Right. So the key deer lives on these islands off the South Florida coast that are super low-lying. Like the highest natural elevation on Big Pine Key, where most of the deer now live, only
2: reaches about eight feet above sea level.
1: And sea levels are rising.
2: Bingo. I mean, yeah, sea level rise is actually how the key deer were created. So regular-sized white-tailed deer grazed down Florida in the last ice age and then got stranded on the keys when the ice melted and sea levels rose. And the keys became keys, right? Small islands.
1: And the deer shrunk?
2: Yeah, exactly. As the habitat changed, got smaller, the deer adapted,
3: and they evolved to be smaller. But they were able to do that because we're talking about this whole process happening over tens of thousands of years. The sea level rise was slow.
0: Imperceptible from a human being's perspective. This is Chris Berg with the
2: Nature Conservancy
0: in the Florida Keys. Very easy for nature and all the species to adapt to that. But then over the last century, as a result of the Industrial Revolution and burning of fossil fuels and the greenhouse effect warming up the atmosphere, warming up the ocean... We went from that very slope to now, over the last century, about 10 inches.
1: Wow, 10 inches of sea level rise. That's right, yeah. And I imagine that's only speeding up the more the world warms.
0: Yep, hence the
2: problem for the key deer. And for the 80,000-some people, like Berg, who live on the Florida Keys, uh, we went to a couple of places around Big Pine Key with Chris Berg. Yeah, we saw an
3: alligator and other
2: Florida-type things. <laughs>
0: There's the gator. Hey, big fella.
2: And the goal was to see how changes on the Keys are already occurring. So the first spot we went was this big open expanse just a couple of blocks from Berg's house between a neighborhood and the
0: ocean. You can't see the open ocean here, but just beyond the vegetation.
1: And by vegetation, do you mean like trees or mangroves?
2: Well, so that's what's interesting. So we were standing in this kind of dead zone, right? The Mm. vegetation he was pointing at by the ocean was mostly mangroves, you know, which, as you know, for the most part, can tolerate saltwater. Behind us, higher up, were these tall, spread out pine trees.
3: They're called pine rockland, which is the main habitat for key deer. And pine rockland is not as tolerant
0: of saltwater.
2: But between the two where we were standing, there's this sort of transition zone.
0: As we look out here, you see dead pine trees. And those tall, dead, gray stumps or snags, they show you where the pine forest used to be. And that's receded by, you know, hundreds of meters at this point.
1: So as the saltwater climbs higher on these islands, it's like shrinking the habitat for these pine trees and the key deer.
0: Yeah, it's making
3: Pine Rockland a shrinking island on a shrinking island.
2: Which is raising these major ethical and logistical questions for the wildlife managers tasked with keeping endangered species like the key deer alive.
0: You know, if you move key deer to the mainland they'll interbreed with the regular deer and then if it's only a matter of generations before you don't have key deer anymore if you move key deer to the bahamas where there are no native land animals the key deer will eat every plant you know and cause their and own cause spit. all kinds of they'll become an invasive species Ooh. if you move key deer to a whole series of zoos like you know people have done with pandas and you know you name it endangered species you can do that you can keep them going but at what cost and to what end? You know, is that really a, a future for the species, the subspecies?
1: Yeah. I mean, despite the positive role zoos can play in conservation, they can also be a tough reminder of how bad things have gotten for a whole lot of species.
3: Yeah. And with the deer, it becomes a question of like, who are we actually doing that for? Mm-hmm. Are we putting them in zoos for the sake of the deers?
2: Or are we putting them in zoos for the sake of our own consciences?
1: Okay, so what are they going to do?
2: That, Regina, is a good question.
3: And it's one that we put to some of the folks managing habitat and species on the Florida Keys with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency, Nikki Colangelo and Christian Eggleston, on a very windy boat metaphor, off of Big voice. Pine Key. It just seems like the conversation is such a new and unique space to be in for any of us but definitely like at any government agency basically those systems are built on like we have data we know that if if you make the speed limit uh 65 that we're gonna have x many less traffic incidents and less deaths or whatever but with this it's like the the data doesn't have a, a Right. It's like the no analog it's future. A, kind it's, a, exactly. it's a more. It's yes. our. What, it's our values. Our values it's it's yeah. what do we want to do, right? right? And then so yeah. that becomes a much harder thing because there's right. so many different people out there. You know, like I don't know. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is. I struggle with that too. I mean, because the options range from giving up and letting a species go extinct to doing absolutely everything you can and. Putting animals in zoos or, you know, collecting plants and putting them in botanical gardens. And, I mean, I don't want any species to go extinct on my watch, you know. I don't think any of us do. I mean, and but is
2: society,
1: where is society on that, you know? So what does she mean by that? Like, where is society on letting species go extinct?
2: Yeah, I mean, because the scale of the threat that climate change is posing to, you know, thousands of species, but especially endemic species, right? Plants and animals like the key deer that live in only one place. The The threat is so acute that the options, as you heard, aren't really that great.
3: Yeah. And the thing is, you know, keeping species alive can cost lots of money. And, and that requires a lot of political will. Species need places to live. So do humans And in places like the Keys, where land is scarce, that can lead to conflict.
1: So what do you think is going to happen to the key deer?
3: Yeah, I I honestly don't know.
2: Yeah, same. Uh, But, you know, that's a question we asked pretty much everybody while we were there, including a biologist who spent most of his career studying these deer before retiring from uh, the University of Texas A&M. His name is Nova Sylvie. We're losing
1: all of it. We've lost a lot of species. Otherwise, we'd be out here fighting dinosaurs. (laughs) So... We're, we're gonna we're gonna lose them sometime. We're gonna lose us
2: sometime too.
3: So you know, Sylvie doesn't think this is like imminent. They'll continue to exist as long as they have the habitat, and and that's a hard thing to know because sea level rise projections vary so much as you go further and further into the future.
1: Yeah, and I suppose it's possible they do get moved to a zoo or wildlife managers figure out some other solution?
2: I mean, yeah, it's possible that we take the steps necessary to stop warming the planet as a collective society, or that we find some way to suck carbon from the atmosphere and slow sea level rise altogether. But,
3: you know, regardless, Sylvie and other people we've talked to think we need to be having this discussion about what to do with the key deer and and other climate-threatened species right now.
2: Because in the future... You're not going to worry
1: about deer when you got to worry about people. That's that's my concern.
2: Yeah, Yeah. That at a certain point, Yeah. the, the, the wildlife don't matter. The, the, the wildlife don't matter. You're going to be worried about people.
1: Wow, that's a bit grim.
2: Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately super grim. Sorry, Regina.
3: <laughs> yeah, however, I will say, though the situation may be desperate, I didn't hear a lot of despair from the folks down there in the Keys. I think the people who are familiar with the situation understand the influence humans have had over creating that situation, And I think what they're saying is that we really need to get together and decide how we want to exert that influence next.
1: Ryan, Nate, thank you so much for this reporting. It's a lot to think about.
2: Yeah, thank you, Regina. Yeah, thank you.
1: This episode was produced by Rachel Carlson. It was edited by Sadie Babbitt and managing producer Rebecca Ramirez. Nate checked the facts, and the audio engineer was Robert Rodriguez. Beth Donovan is our Senior Director of Programming, and Anya Grunman is our Senior Vice President of Programming. I'm Regina Barber. Thank you for listening to Shortwave from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. ShipBob's warehouse management system can improve your efficiency, allow you to grow faster, and save you money all through one WMS platform. Get a free quote at SHIPBOB.com.
1: Want all of NPR without relying on your radio? Visit NPR.org to be connected to your local station wherever you are and wherever the news takes you. Get your vital mix of rigorously reported local and national stories all live, free, and at your fingertips at npr.org.